Well, would you uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, page 998. As uh, Andrew said just earlier, we're beginning or continuing in our series looking at uh, Matthew chapters 26 and 27 uh, in these uh, weeks as we lead up to Easter. Matthew chapter 27, page 998. Craig Allen Myers, in his article, The Creeping Danger of Materialism, writes this. Sad to say, but the danger of acquiring things, materialism, is one which snags many careless Christians. Otherwise, faithful believers find themselves pursuing the same things as their pagan neighbours. Keeping up with the Joneses is often as common in the churches as it is in the world. A high-paying job, a fine house in an exclusive neighbourhood, a luxury automobile and expensive clothing are as high on the priority list of some Christians as they are for the unsaved. It's a devastating comment, isn't it? And this morning as we come face to face with Judas Iscariot, we see the the eternal danger of materialism, an insidious sin that largely goes unchallenged in the middle-class evangelical church in the West. Uh, over the years, there's been much ink spilt over the Judas, uh, the reason, the motive for Judas's betrayal of Jesus. But as I've studied this week, I've become convinced that Richard Buse hits the nail on the head as he says very simply, Judas is the great materialist in the New Testament. Money was his motive for betraying Jesus. Now, some of you will be saying, I'm not convinced by that. Well, well, let me show you what convinces me. First, you'll see money is the subject of almost every verse in the passage before us. Verse 3, Judas returned the, the 30 silver coins to the chief priests. Verse 5, Judas threw the money into the temple. Verse 6, the chief priest picks up the coins. Verse 7, tells us how they used the money. Verse 9, quoting the prophet, they took the 30 silver coins. And verse 10, they used them to buy the potter's field. See, this whole event revolves around money. And we'll see a little later on how the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled here also major on these silver coins. Secondly, turn with me, if you will, keep a a finger in in Matthew 27, but turn with me to John 12, uh, page... um, 1,079. Now there's going to be a bit of flicking around this morning, but it's a cold morning, so it'll keep your fingers warm. Uh, Page 1,079, uh, John chapter 12. And here we see what triggered Jesus' betrayal of Jesus. John chapter 12. Now look at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Here's Judas then, witnessing this woman's extravagant love for Jesus. And it seems he has a point. Sell the perfume, give the money to the poor. Use it for the starving millions. It's comic relief and you'd have to sell a lot of red noses to to raise this sort of dough. 
See, Jesus' words sound so grand. What he, sa- what he says sounds so holy and pious. But as we read on, we discover that Jesus wasn't concerned for the poor at all. He was only thinking about how to lie in his own pocket. Look at verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. It's a devastating comment. Judas wasn't bothered about the poor, but about his cut. Judas was a materialist. And in Matthew's Gospel, we learn that it was immediately after this event that Judas looks for a way to betray Jesus. Turn back with me to Matthew, uh, this time Matthew 26, verses 14 to 16, page 996. Page 996. Again, immediately after a woman has poured perfume over Jesus' head, you'll see that in verses 6 to 13. So we read, chapter 26, verse 14, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Do you see Judas's motive for betraying Jesus? It was money. As he left Jesus and the other disciples, you can hear him muttering under his breath, if that's Jesus' approach to money, if he's happy to see it poured down the drain, then I'm out. Judas is the great materialist of the New Testament. And as we see where his materialism leads him, it is a huge warning to all of us in the wealthy West. Money and materialism is so incredibly deceptive. Now, before we look uh, closely at Matthew 27, turn with me one more time, if you will, uh, to another part of the Bible, this time to 1 Timothy, chapter 6, page 1194. Thank you for staying with me as we make these, um, uh, these uh, cross-references, but I think you'll find them helpful. Page 1194, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and verses 6 to 10. One Timothy chapter six verse six. Paul writing to Timothy says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now you see the word trap there for temptation and a trap. The word trap there describes the the snare a poacher would use to catch a wild animal. The poacher would dig a pit, put sharp vertical stakes in the pit, cover it over with branches and then dangle bait over the pit. And uh, the animal would spring for the bait and as they caught the bait and hit the ground, as they hit the ground, the ground gives way and it falls through and impales itself on the stakes below. Well, that's what happened to Judas, isn't it? No sooner had he grabbed the money than he came crashing down to earth, spiritually bankrupt. That's the danger of money. That's what happens to materialists. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, at the end of it, people want to, who want to get rich plunge to ruin and destruction. And end of verse 10, they wander from the faith and are pierced with many griefs. Well, that's Judas, isn't it? And so you see, Judas is a huge warning to any of us who want to, uh, to quote uh, the, the quote earlier, keep up with the Joneses. 
or chase after a high-paying job, a fine house in an exclusive neighbourhood, a luxury automobile and expensive clothes. Strive for those things and we run the risk of betraying Jesus just as Judas did. Well, turn back with me to Matthew 27. Uh, page 998 and we'll spend some time now looking at this passage with that background uh, in mind. Matthew chapter 27. Last week, of course, we saw Peter denying Jesus uh, but after many tears, Peter was restored and, and as you know, became a, a great pillar of, uh, of the Christian church. Now Matthew shows us a picture of someone in Judas who was never restored, who never returned to Jesus. Matthew reminds us of the situation Jesus was in. Chapter 27, verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. The Christ is being murdered by the religious establishment the priests, and notice the elders of the people, verse 1. It's an amazing reminder of how much Jesus loves the world, verses 1 and 2. The world is against him. His friends have deserted him. The religious leaders are doing away with him. The elders of the people, so representing all Jews, verse 1, the elders are deciding to murder him. Verse 2, he will be taken to Pilate, a Gentile king, who will hand him over to be crucified. Do you see verses 1 and 2 shows us the extent of Jesus' world for a world in rebellion against him, the extent of Jesus' love. And now we're reminded that Jesus was betrayed by the one who'd followed him, verse 3. When Judas, who'd betrayed him, saw that he was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. It is a devastating moment. At this moment, Judas realised what he's done. It was Christmas Eve about four years ago. I was walking through All Souls Church, just going from my office outside, and a man in his 40s walked into the church. He slumped into the back row of the seats and started to sob almost uncontrollably. I sat down next to him, told him who I was, that I worked at the church, that I was one of the curates there, and I asked him the problem, and he told me that he'd just lost his job on Christmas Eve. He'd been at the office party, Christmas party, the night before. He got drunk and he foolishly said things to his colleagues that were confidential. His boss had found out and had fired him on the spot. So he was out of a job and he said to me, I I can't face my wife. I've got to tell her that I've lost my job on Christmas Eve. How are we going to pay the bills? And it's all my fault. I've been such an idiot. And as he sat there in the church, the enormity of the situation was overwhelming him. The consequences of his actions devastated him. That's Judas right here. At this moment, verse 3 and 4, it is all becoming all too clear to him. He's realised just what he's done in betraying Jesus. And having realised that, the NIV tells us verse 3, Judas was seized with remorse. The English Standard Version, the ESV, is much more accurate translation when it tells us that Jesus changed his mind. He changed his mind about what he'd done and he brought back the 30 
pieces of silver. At this very moment, Judas has, has a change of mind then. Now, this is quite new to me. You see, I've uh, never really studied this in the same depth until this week. I've always seen in the NIV this word remorse, and it wasn't until I looked uh, more closely that I realised that, that that's, although it's a good translation, it's not actually the word that was used. And uh, Matthew uses exactly the same word to change his mind in chapter 21 and verse 29. Just flip back with me, if you will, because I think it's worth seeing this uh, to see why this was remorse and not repentance. Chapter 21, verse 29. Do you love this little parable? The parable of the two sons. It's a great little parable. I'll read from verse 28. What do you think, says Jesus? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he, there's the word, changed his mind and went. So here's this first son, having said he wouldn't go and work in his father's vineyard, he changed his mind and went. And so Jesus holds him up as an example of repentance. You'll see that later on. You'll see, actually, Jesus uses that word, repent, uh, at the end of verse 32 as an example changing his mind changing his action and crucially I think this is the key point deciding to work for his father in the vineyard now you see when we turn back to chapter 27 Judas has done exactly the same thing as the first son he's changed his mind verse 3 it's the same word He's actually changed some actions. He's returned the money, verse 3. He's even confessed his sin before the chief priest, verse 4. But why is this remorse and not repentance? Because he didn't start to work for his father in the vineyard. He didn't return to Jesus. He didn't, again, begin to follow Jesus. No, verse 5. Jesus threw the money into the temple and left. That's the moment. Now, here's the moment he could return to Jesus because Jesus is so compassionate. He threw the money into the temple and left and then he went away and hanged himself. It almost looks as if Judas is repenting but he just fell short of repenting. And yes, the NIV is right. He's just full of remorse. We would do very well to learn the difference between repentance and remorse. We can feel terrible about our actions. We can even try to reverse our actions. We can confess our actions and still not be repentant. I think of a Christian businessman who got caught up in a financial scam at work. He knew from the first moment that he really shouldn't have been involved, but he, he had a big mortgage. He liked to have all the latest gadgets and the state-of-art uh, uh, home entertainment equipment. So the, the financial rewards of getting involved in this scam were too hard to resist. He was a materialist, you see. He got more and more involved in the scam. He told more and more lies and distanced himself more and more from those around him. Yeah, he was a Christian man. He stopped going to the prayer meeting. He stopped attending his home group. He went to church only occasionally. Eventually he came to his senses and at considerable cost to himself he confessed his involvement in the scam. He returned the money. He promised those around him, those who loved him, that he'd never go that way again. But, you know, to this day, he has never begun to serve Jesus again. Never. He is full of remorse for his actions. I believe he will never go back that way. But he hasn't repented, you see. He hasn't begun to serve his father in the vineyards. Well, that's Judas. 
That's why he didn't repent. He didn't return to Jesus and so he faced a fate worse than death. See, Jesus had already said of Judas back in chapter 26, verse 24, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. Woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. Woe betide him. See, betraying Jesus for money is a terrible thing. And as we look on, we'll see just why. You see, as the details of spending those 30 silver coins are played out, Matthew is keen for us to see once again, as he's shown us all the way through his Gospel, that the Scriptures are being fulfilled. Verse 6, the chief priest picks up the the coins and says, it is against the law to put this, this into the treasury since it's blood money. Once again, we see the irony that we saw a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? The religious leaders aren't bothered about, are bothered about the details of the law, but they're not bothered about the whole law, how they've broken the whole law by putting Jesus to death. And so, verse 7, they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the silver, 30 silver coins, the price set on him for the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. There's all sorts of uh, difficulties with this particular uh, 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 prophecy. Uh, You'll see, actually, that um, it says Jeremiah, but the main prophecy comes from Zechariah. I think the NIV helps us as it points us to Jeremiah chapters 19 and 32 in in the NIV footnote, and to Zechariah chapter 11 as being fulfilled here. Uh, You'll see other difficulties when we turn to Zechariah in a moment. But let me just give you the background to these difficult prophecies. In Jeremiah chapter 19, the rulers of Israel have forsaken the Lord and made Jerusalem a place for foreign gods. That is exactly what's happening here. They are rejecting the Lord. The leaders of Israel are rejecting the Lord. Now, as a final cross-reference, turn with me to, to Zechariah chapter 11, page 956. Thank you for bearing with me, all these cross-references. Page 956, Zechariah chapter 11. And while it's a difficult prophecy, it's a, it's a brilliant one, and you'll see how it fits. Page 956. Now the background here is that the Lord's shepherd is being rejected by the people of Israel and valued at the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. The sheep, uh, the people of Israel, are being badly treated by the leaders of Israel. And so the Lord's servant steps in to care for them. He looks after the sheep, sheep that the leaders have marked for slaughter. Chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the Lord my God says. Pasture the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I'm rich. And you see again? There's the issue on money. The leaders are materialists, rejoicing in their wealth. They are selling the people of Israel for money. And so, verse 7, the good shepherd pastured the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favour and the other union, and I pastured the flock. 
In one month I got rid of the three shepherds, these are the bad shepherds, he's got rid of them, you see. And then these devastating remarks. The flock detested me. It's remarkable, the Lord's servant looks after these poor sheep who were marked for slaughter. And then those same sheep, the flock, detested him. Now you must see the parallel, it's easy, isn't it? Between this and Jesus. And so the Lord asks his people to set a price on his word, to name their price on what the anointed prophet is worth. And we read verse 12, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Do you hear the sarcasm in the comment? Verse 12, throw the 30 pieces of silver. Verse 13, the handsome price at which they priced me. They sold the shepherd, the good shepherd, for 30 pieces of silver. Did you see, that is exactly what's happening in Matthew chapter 27. Do you see again why this whole episode is about materialism and why it is so devastating? Jesus was priced at 30 pieces of silver. That's how much Judas sold him for. That's how much the religious establishment thought he was worth. And not only the leaders, but Zechariah chapter 11 verse 8, the whole flock detested him. And here is why materialism is so cheap. Materialism at its core puts a price on Jesus' head. When we exchange things for Jesus, we are saying Jesus is worth just a little less than the things we chase after. Materialism asked, what price the Son of God? See, we're told everyone has their price and in a materialistic world that even includes Jesus, the creator of the world. Judas and the religious leaders valued the Christ at 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Oh, we may put the price a bit higher but it's no less despicable for that. You see, it's the observation of Craig Allen Myers in his article, The Creeping Danger of Materialism. Quote, A high-paying job, a fine house in an exclusive neighbourhood, a luxury automobile, expensive clothes. When we chase after those things and value those things, when those things grab our hearts and when we put those things before Jesus, we are putting a price on Christ. Like Jesus, we can easily use pious language. Do you remember his words? We could sell the perfume and give money to the poor. It's not so different from, I'll get a big salary to buy a big house and I can use the house to host the home group. But to climb the ladder to get the salary, he has to work all the hours God sends and he drifts away from the Lord's things. He's too tired to read the Bible and pray anymore. He gets home too late to attend a fellowship group. He misses church quite regularly because he's away on business. And so the materialist, the materialistic Christian finds themselves chasing the promotion even if it costs them spiritually. Because with the promotion comes the higher salary, an extra 10, 20, 30 grand a year. Do you see what we're doing? We're valuing Jesus at, at what, 30,000 pounds? Or we're saying that Jesus is worth an extra bedroom, a larger garden and a utility room. Is that all that Jesus is worth? 
See, put like that, we can see that materialism is so cheap. Francis Xavier, the Jesuit missionary to China and Japan in the 16th century, said this, I have heard in the confessional men confessing every sin imaginable, but I have never heard anyone voluntarily, without prompting, confess to the sin of covetousness. See, here's why. Because materialism is so cheap. To be a materialist, I'm putting a price on Jesus and then I'm selling him for that price. How wicked is that? No wonder no one wants to confess to that sin. You see, we have to believe the lie that materialism and money can replace the one true God. And we said it earlier in our service, uh, we believe as Christians that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Father, our Creator. The Son, our Saviour. The Holy Spirit, our Comforter. And it is in exactly those terms that we would try to replace the Trinity with money as our God. So we think money can replace the Father as Creator, which is why we describe a very successful and wealthy person as a self-made man. Money is his Creator, that's what's made him. We think of money as our Saviour, believing that money will rescue us from any calamity and solve all our problems. So we've always got some tucked away for a rainy day. And we talk about it giving us some security. It saves us. And we allow money to be our comforter. So we talk about comfort shopping and retail therapy. Do you see how we allow money to replace the living God? That's what Judas did. And it ruined him. And friends, if we will not face up to the creeping danger of materialism and search our hearts, it could ruin us too. We must face up to that fact. Face up to the fact that desperately we can be brought off. And that's the warning of Judas. So as we look at Judas this morning, let's be convinced that it is not good business to be a materialist. In fact, it is so cheap to put a price on Jesus' head. And it is so costly for eternity. Let's pray together.